invite your attention to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 24. The 24th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. God willing, we're going to expound a passage this morning. Verses 29 through 44. Now let me set the background for you. In the 22nd chapter of Matthew's gospel, the ministry of Jesus is coming to an end. His opponents have waxed bold against him. And he is now in Jerusalem. And they come to gang up on him in a tag team, as it were. The various sects of the Jews came, including the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees. And all these disagreed with each other, but in Jesus they had a common enemy. And they came one by one. He confounded every one of them. Then a lawyer stood up and he questioned Jesus and Jesus silenced him. And then he, in the 23rd chapter, he gave just about the only denunciation he ever gave, at least lengthy. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And he exposed them. And then we come to the 24th chapter. And in the beginning of this 24th chapter, we read that Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. It was actually a complex, a number of buildings and a wall. And Jesus said unto them, after they pointed out the temple, look at this. I mean, it's what a grand structure this is. And it was. Jesus says, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, <clears throat> There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And it came to pass. He then begins to give an Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. And he begins to describe the end time events. <clears throat> he first begins to describe what's going to start happening very soon. And these would culminate in that time period in the Desolation, the um, abomination of desolation coming into the temple. The Romans would bring it in. Spoken of, prophesied by Daniel, fulfilled in 70 A.D. Jesus said it's coming. The abomination of desolation and Jerusalem shall be destroyed. And then 
when Jesus had described that, he said there's coming a time of great tribulation. Then in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and they shall And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, I'm going to bring you back to this in just a moment, but I want you to consider that express phrase that is used. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four corners over the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day, the day of his return, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known and watched the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken into. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. The day of his return, he's coming back. His first coming was prophesied. He fulfilled it just as it was prophesied. His second coming is prophesied. He will fulfill it just as it was prophesied. Today we're going to consider these five points. The one who is coming. The time of his coming. 
the unexpectedness of his coming, the separation of his coming, and the exhortation regarding his coming. So consider that first point, the one who is coming. Who is he? He is, he calls himself, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. This was the term by which Jesus, more than any other, referred to himself. More than 30 times in Matthew's Gospel. And six of these in this 24th chapter, he called himself the Son of Man. Who are you? I am the Son of Man. When Jesus speaks of himself as the Son of Man, we find three things regarding him. His humanity, his humility, and his messiahship. Now consider that first. This term speaks of his humility, or pardon me, his humanity. He is the Son of God that denotes his deity. He is the Son of Man that denotes his humanity. He is God's only begotten Son, but he is one of many sons of man. But here he is said to be a particular son of man. He is a son of man because, as you'll find in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, he could trace his ancestry all the way back to the first man, Adam. All the way back. Luke gives it to us. Jesus recording, or Jesus' genealogy, all the way back to Adam. Adam was the first man. And Jesus was the son of a son of a son of a son of a son of the first man. He is the son of man. Second, this term speaks of his humility. Jesus did not go around telling people, I'm the son of God. Who are you? I am God's son. No, no, no. He did not do that. He is much too humble to conduct himself in such a manner as that. Well, who are you? I'm the son of man. Meaning, I'm just like one of you. I am the son of man. Now, if he is identified as the son of God by others, he will admit it. He did this when he was talking with his disciples and he said, uh, Tell me. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, that's what he called himself, who do they say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets, uh, you're John the Baptist, come back to life. I mean, they, you know, they know you're someone great. They just do not know which one. And then Jesus said, but whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood, humanity did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So he did not deny that he was the Son of God. 
It's just that he did not go around bragging about it and boasting about it. His humility. Jesus was not one of those who went around expecting you to call him by some high-polluting title. He did not introduce himself in such a manner as that. He'd simply say, I'm the Son of Man. All right. The Son of Man denotes his humanity. He descended from the first man. Denotes his humility. He did not identify him as God's son. He identified himself as man's son. But here he is the son of man. Now, in the text, there is a definite Greek article. The son of man. All of us are sons of men and sons of man. Every one of us has an ancestry that goes back to the first man, Adam. We cannot trace it, but it's there. But when Jesus said, I am the Son of Man, he's talking about a very particular and a very specific Son of Man. It is the one prophesied in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. And rather than have you turn to the passage, I included it in your synopsis. You can follow along with me with regard to Daniel 17, verses 13 and 14. Now, Daniel's prophecy reads in these words, I, Daniel, was watching in the night visions. He evidently is having perhaps some kind of an out-of-body experience, which was not at all unusual for prophets. John the Beloved probably had one when he says, I was in the Spirit. God has come down to give a vision. And Daniel has a night vision there when God is going to speak to him. And he says, and behold, now watch this, one like the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, this is not the only time that term Son of Man is used in the book of Daniel. Do you remember when the three Hebrew children are thrown into the fiery furnace? And the king has heated that furnace seven times hotter than ever before. It was so big he could look into it. And he says, Did we not throw three men in there? Yeah. Well, I see four men in there, and they're walking around as though they're not deeply troubled by what's going on there. And I know who three of them are, and the other looks like, the Son of Man. <laughs> this Son of Man is mentioned here again in Daniel's prophecy. He says, I behold, And behold, one like the Son of Man, now watch this, coming with the clouds of heaven. I saw one. I saw the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. That's God, the Eternal One. And they, Jehovah's angels, brought him, the Son of Man, near before him. This is God, the Ancient of Days, the eternal deity sitting on his throne. Here comes one like the Son of Man on the clouds. 
He is brought close. The angels take him and bring him right up to God's throne and present him there. Then to him the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, grasp the points that are here being made. This is a very specific Son of Man. When Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, He is speaking not only of His humanity, not only of His humility, but also His letting people know. Well, He did not have to let them know. They figured it out as soon as He said it. I am the Son of Man. The Son of Man. When he said these words, his enemies understood exactly what he was saying. When he was on trial before the Sanhedrin, who condemned him, here toward the end of his earthly life, and he's being asked these questions and he just would not answer, you know, just let them talk. Then we read, And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God, or the Messiah. Put you on oath. You have to answer me. Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus said, It is as you said. (laughs) That is an admission. It is as you said. Nevertheless, he's not through. He's not through. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. As soon as he said those words, Everybody there knew what he was talking about. They remembered those very words from Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's prophecy of Messiah coming as the Son of Man on the clouds and brought to God's throne and made ruler over all God's kingdom. Now Jesus said, not only... Am I the Christ, the Son of God? But I'm saying to you that you will see the Son of Man, me, come in the clouds of heaven with all power, sitting on the throne of God. They knew what he was saying as soon as he said it. He has spoken blasphemy, they said. What further need have we of witnesses? What do you say? And they said, he's worthy of death. He's worthy of death. Let him be crucified. Now they knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the throne of glory, coming on the clouds of heaven. He was saying that he had, or that he was the fulfillment 
of every part of Daniel's prophecy. He is the Son of Man. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. And he is the ruler sitting at God's right hand. Now, here in verse 30 of the passage before us in Matthew 24, and I brought it to your attention a moment ago, Jesus made reference to the very same point in verse 30, saying these words, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now what a day that will be. Oh, what a day that will be. There's going to be cataclysmic events in the heavens. The sun not shining, the moon not giving light. People are going to look up into the heavens and see all these cataclysmic events. And their hearts are going to shake with fear. What is going on? And then the heavens opened and there he comes. There he comes. This son of man riding on the clouds of heaven. Coming down as the ruler of all. And men will shake and quake in their fear. And God's people will say, Yes! He's here. He's here. Lift up your eyes, folks. Your redemption draws nigh. Lift them up. He's going to come in the clouds of heaven, this Son of Man. Consider the second point, the time of His coming. Identified in two ways. In verse 29, it will be after the tribulation of those days. The tribulation of those days. Now, it is a popular opinion among some that the great tribulation is only seven years in length and it's somewhere way off in the future. And uh, don't be worried about it, they say. If you're a believer, you're going to get raptured and you don't have to go through it. But it's only going to last seven years and you're not going to go through it. So uh, that's a popular opinion. Uh, there's not a grain of truth to it, though. That's the problem. Now watch this. Jesus says that the coming of the Son of Man will be after the tribulation of those days. That tribulation commenced sometime shortly after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And it continues to this very day. And will continue until he returns. After the tribulation of those days. It is a time of, of great tribulation. That's what Jesus called it in verses 21 and following. John the Apostle, in about the year 100 A.D., writing in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in the Holy Scriptures, 
written to the seven churches of Asia Minor says, I am your companion in the tribulation. One of the churches in Asia Minor was told, you will undergo tribulation ten days. Ten is a number of completion, meaning that it's going to be a complete tribulation, a great tribulation, a time of, of, of much tribulation. It's going to be a time of great trouble. All followers of Jesus Christ will go through it. Someone sees them and they says, Who are these? Oh, these are they who have come through great tribulation and washed their garments and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Folks, the plain teaching of Scripture is that the revelation is not somewhere off in the distant future. No, no, no. Every child of God goes through it. Not all to the same degree. But when you consider what's going on in this country right now and the changes of events toward Christians in the last 10 years, don't be surprised if it gets a whole lot worse than it is now. It has been terrible in some countries. In the former Soviet Union, in China now, Christians are going through great tribulation in parts of Africa. There were crusades mounted against Christians back in the dark ages. Would you dare go up to one of those people and say, you've not been through the tribulation. <laughs> not this one. <laughs> no, no, no. Every child of God's going to go through it. And when that tribulation is done, here he comes. Here he comes. All right. After the tribulation of those days, it'll be at a time unknown by men. But of that day and hour, knows, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now think about that. No one knows but the Father in heaven. Around his throne are myriads of angels in close communion with him. And not a single one of them knows what day Jesus is coming back. None of them knows. No man knows. Now what kind of a foolish man would stand and say, I have calculated the time of Jesus' return. You'd have to admit it's a foolish man, and yet we've seen a few of them, have we not? Yep. I've done the calculations. I have done Daniel's 70 weeks, and I know the day or the year Jesus is coming. All right, they put it back in the 1800s and various men have popped up. It just seems that some people read God's word about fools and then they rush to fulfill the word and to prove it to be true.
No one knows. No one knows. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. So when you hear a man or woman say, I know the time Jesus is coming back, pay no heed. Pay no heed. Third point, the unexpectedness of his coming. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, Jesus illustrated this truth in verses 37 through 39. As the days of Noah. In the parallel account in Luke, it was as in the days of Lot. Now, what are they doing? Buying and selling. Marrying and giving in marriage. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing of itself. In fact, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. These are common, ordinary events of life. Luke's account speaks of building houses, pursuing business. That's what we do. Their sin was not so much in what they did in their everyday lives. Their sin was in the fact that it became their preoccupation. And they were so concerned about their physical deeds, feeding their families, marrying their children, and all the other things of life that they did not consider adequately that he's coming back. Now, folks, that's where it is around us. I have, I live close to 10th Avenue South. It's a major thoroughfare. And uh, I live at one end of it and quite often have to go all the way to the other end. And I have driven down 10th Avenue South at times and just wondered, all these people going to work, going out to eat, going to this event or whatever, How many of them are even concerned about the fact that Jesus is coming back? How many? And we sometimes have to, you know, am I the only one concerned about this? A Lord's Day morning driving down. And people are going everywhere except to some place to worship. What are they doing? Going shopping. That's not bad. Going to buy gifts. That's not bad. Going to work. That's not bad. Unless it becomes your preoccupation and you become so occupied with these things that you give no consideration for the fact that it is not only important that I be ready to go to work, it is important for me to be ready when Jesus returns. This event will take people so unexpectedly. They're so preoccupied with ordinary events. Listen, folks. Never become so preoccupied with the events of your life that you forget He's coming back and you need to be ready. I need to be ready. You need to be ready. Then the separation that is coming. Verses 31 and 40. 
And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. A foremost concern of our dear sweet Jesus is that none of his children perish. <laughs> they are dear to him. They must not perish. And his return is going to be not only with cataclysmic events in the heavens, but all a conflagration on this earth. The elements melting. It's going to be a time of great sorrow and great trouble upon all who are not ready. But before Jesus comes to bring destruction upon those who refuse to believe, he's going to send his angels and say, gather my elect. Gather my elect. <laughs> before I put my sigh into the grave of all these wicked people, gather my elect. I love them. They must not perish. He will gather his elect, send his angels to gather them so that they do not go through the terrible events that will come upon the wicked when he returns. And out in the field are two men working, hoeing their potatoes, planting their corn, feeding their cattle, and all of a sudden one of them is gone. One of them is gone. It is not what some people call the rapture, Rather, it is the final day. It is not some event that's going to happen seven years before Jesus comes back. No, it's the day he returns. And what has happened? An angel has flown by the field and said, there's one of God's elect. Get him! And they get him and take him off to safety. Two women grinding at the mill, a common ordinary event for men of that day. What has happened? And the angel says, she's one of God's elect. Get her. Make sure she's safe. And they gather her. It's going to be a great separation. A great separation. And I hope and pray that when it comes, every one of you is taken. I hope and pray. Let there be none of us in the workplace when Jesus returns. And we're not taken. Whatever the event be in our lives, be ready. Be ready on that day. And when the angels come fly, do not watch them go by and miss you. But be ready. They're coming. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be a separation in that day. And then the final point. The warning or the exhortation regarding his coming. He says, watch and be ready. Verses 42 through 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, 
for the Son of Man is coming and an hour you do not expect. Watch and be ready. Military men and women sometimes have been called to go to some place, some mission, had to be ready at a moment's notice. And I suppose they still do it. When I was in the military, we had a little bag we kept right beside the door or somewhere somewhere close by, change of clothes and, and uh, whatever toiletries we needed. Because when it was time to go, it was time to go, and you had room to go back to your barracks and get your bag and then get on the truck and be gone. One of the leading military men of England by the name of Campbell was told that in a time when England was having trouble with a war in India and they said to him, how soon can you be ready to go to take over the forces in India? And he said, half an hour. (laughs) All his affairs would be ready. Half an hour. Give me half an hour. I'm ready to go. I'll be on the ship. Watch and be ready. That's what we're told to do. Let me ask you folks. Are you ready for the day? When will it be? Have no idea. Does a thief send you an email to let you know when he's going to come? No. He comes as a, you know, comes in the night. Does not tell you. He comes when you least expect. That's what Jesus will do. At an hour when you least expect. And people will be so preoccupied with the ordinary events of their lives that they look up and they say, Oh no, what he said is true and here he comes and it's too late. Watch and be ready. Keep your eyes upon that eastern sky. Your redemption draws nigh. He's coming. He's coming. Watch and be ready. Do not let that moment take you by surprise. Before you walk out that door this morning, ascertain this. I'm ready. He will not come a minute too soon for me. If he comes before I finish this breath, so be it. If you have never trusted in him before, do it now. Right now. Trust in him, the Son of Man. O God, our Father, be pleased, we pray, to bless this word. To your glory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.